My lesson title is Ye Are. I've been telling folks that I was going to tell you, if Jesus said ye are, ye are. <laughs> I want to begin with Luke 16, 13 through 15. No servant can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he else will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also, who were very covetous, heard all these things and derided him. And he said unto them, Ye are these which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. I thought I needed to start off by telling you that we can't serve God and mammon or a treasure. We can't let money rule our lives and our ministry. I believe there are many modernites. I don't know of any missionary Baptists that are preaching for money. I hope it's not so. And you don't need to ever do that. But I believe there are many modern ones that are preaching for money. Amen. They're not God called and you know that. They're not even saved. They don't know nothing about it. But it's been said and I agree with it. If you could be paid to preach, you could be paid not to. First Timothy 6 and 10, Paul says to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evil. Amen. Now, it doesn't mean every sin is, is, that's committed is because of money, but it means every kind of sin is sometimes committed just for money. There have been many women that have become prostitutes for money. There have been many lied for money, cheat for money. There have been many steal for money. Many that would rob with the point of a gun for money. And many kill for money. You could go on with any other thing you could think of, and somebody would do it for money. Amen. But brethren, he said you can't serve God and mammon. We don't need to let money get in our way. Amen. If you're called to God, you need to let God rule your ministry. It's important that you do that. You can't have two masters, you say. You need to let God take control. 
You could refuse to take a small church because there's not much money there. That don't need to be the case. You could take a large church because there's lots of money there. That don't be the case. You need to go where God sends you no matter what the pay is. You cannot stay long enough at a small church. Or you could stay too long at a large church. We don't need to let that rule our lives and our ministry, uh, but we need to let the Lord take care of that. We need to go when he says go, go where he says go, preach what he says preach. It's important that we do it that way. Matthew 22 and verse 8 says, Be not called rabbi, one is your master, even Christ, and ye are brothers. But we don't need to get lifted up. We need to look at everybody as our equal. It's an awful thing to get lifted up with pride and feel like you're a little better than your other brothers. Several years ago, way back, I went to what they call a sermon's day, and they preached seven preachers that day. And preachers were following preachers like we do here. And you, you'd see these men were men I knew. And, and when they were following one another, I saw that they're not alike at all. They had some likeness, but none of them were just alike. They were different in some way. But the fact is God uses different men for different things and he uses all of us. He needs to be our master. Amen. We're brothers. That's what he says. Yeah, our brothers. I like to, uh, what Peter said, 1 Peter 5 and 1. Peter's writing to the elders. And he just said, hey, listen up here. He didn't say that. He didn't say, listen up here. I'm an apostle. I'm one of the 12. He didn't say that, but he said, I am an elder too. Is that the way we ought to do it, brethren? That's the way that we need to do it. We need to look at everybody as brethren. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 21. He said, I was, I'm a free man. But I've become a servant. What he is saying here is he put himself on their level. Those that were under the law, I was under the law. Those that were without law, I was without law. He said to a Jew, I was a Jew. 
He said to the weak, I was weak. What he was talking about here is his putting himself on the level with others. He didn't want to feel high-minded above those he's preaching to either. That's a wonderful thing. Proverbs 11 and 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. Now, that's scripture, brother. Brother Moran kept telling you, it's scripture, it's scripture, it's scripture. And he's right. It's scripture. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. We don't need to go into to a church and feel like that we must be big and be above everybody else, but we need to be humble and outgoing to everybody. Proverbs 16 and 18. Solomon said, pride goes before destruction and the Holy Spirit before a fall. It does. You get lifted up in pride and people can see it and they won't want nothing to do with you. It's not good to keep lifted up with pride. I thought I probably ought to use this scripture, 1 Timothy 3 and 6. Sometimes a church will ordain a, a preacher that's just out of the gate. But Paul taught against that. Not a novice, he said, lest they be lifted up in pride and fall into condemnation of the devil. Brethren, you need to get out of the gate. You need to get out and preach. And when you've had some experience, then uh, uh, the Lord will send you to a church and they'll call you and that's the way it works good. Matthew 22 and 8. It says, I sent you to reap wherein you bestowed no labor. And ye are entered into their labors. Brethren, you don't need to forget this. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, he said, I have plenty. Apollos watered, but it is God gave the increase. When I began meditating on this scripture and this particular thing, I thought that I would give you some things about my pastorate at Maple Grove, number two, down in Lafayette, Tennessee. I had more success there than anywhere. 
And I thought it would be good to give it to you and show you. Maple Grove had been there a while, pretty good while, in fact. And uh, there had been a missionary that went there and preached in a little old school building and, and uh, people come together and they had meetings and later they organized that church and after him, they had several pastors. There were a lot of uh, deacons along the way and a lot of lay members. And when I got there in Maple Grove, there was a church there. There'd been other people planting watering. Had it not been for those in front of me, I wouldn't even have a stump to preach on. My success at Maple Grove wasn't me. It was the people. I got there and they were half time. You know, way back, we didn't have enough preachers to go around. They had to do it that way. But I got there. My first Sunday in the pulpit, I said, if, if y'all want to go full time, I'm available. I didn't say any more, didn't push them or anything, but the first conference meeting, they made a motion to go full time without being pushed. Boy, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. I hadn't even preached to them about it, and they did it. Somebody else had planted, hadn't they? What's your day? They had five or six lost kids, and I started preaching to them. And the first one that got saved was, was a woman, 53 years old, two houses up from the church. Then the kids got, got, started getting saved. And here's what happened those people decided anybody that come in there was going to get saved. That's what they decided because that was what was happening. And it was because they were working and laboring and praying. They were praying for me. I baptized in the six years I was there. I baptized, I kept count of it. I baptized 22 adults. There were lots of other adults that come in and got saved and went other places. We only had three adults that were lost when I got to Maple Grove. What I'm telling you here is, they went out after them and brought them in. Amen. I'd been preaching to empty beaches if they wasn't brought in. Takes more than you. I remember one, one man that I didn't baptize, the adult that come in, he's in his 50s too, come in and it said on the left-hand side about the fourth seat from the back next to the wall and I was preaching and as I was preaching, I could see that man was in trouble. When I got through preaching, I gave an altar call and I stepped down out of the pulpit and headed straight to that man and the people already had him surrounded and we started praying with that man and he was praying for himself. It wasn't a few minutes till he got saved. Well, I talked to him afterward. 
And he told me that he got under conviction two years before that at a funeral my brother Doug was preaching. You see, Doug planted, I watered, and God gave an increase. But it took more than him and me. Somebody, maybe a bunch of somebody's, it took somebody to get him to church. And they got him there. And it made the difference. Brother, and recognize when things are happening, it's other people involved. If it's really going to be good, it's a lot of people involved. Don't forget it. That's an important thing. I remember one time I opened my doors to the church and there's 18 lined up across the front. That's the kind of thing that was going on down there. That's the largest bunch I remember. But I do remember that happening one time. Listen. That church went out and got them and brought them in. And that's why it was successful. A lot of people's work is involved, not just mine. I think that's important. One reason I knew that it wasn't me, that it was them, because the church I pastored just before I went there, that didn't happen. The church I pastored just after I went there, it didn't happen. It took the people doing what God wanted them to do, and it made all the difference in the world. John 15, 13 through 14. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye keep my commandments. I don't mind telling you Jesus is my best friend. There are, there are children sometimes have imaginary friends and they talk to them that don't exist. But I've got a friend, a real friend, my best friend, and I talk to him all day long. You can talk to Jesus 24-7. A lot of people go out to the same place and pray all the time. I go out somewhere to myself sometimes, but the, most of the time I just talk to him off and on all day. Aren't you thankful that he, you can be driving down the road talking to Jesus and he listens? Amen. He's my best friend. He died for me. I got a lot of good friends, but he's the only one that died for me. He's the one that's responsible for my salvation. Amen. Now, he said, if you're going to be his friend, you keep his commandments. Jesus asked, which is the first and great commandment in Matthew 22. He said, the first one is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Second one is likened unto it to love thy neighbor as thyself. Brother Reynolds was sitting over there. He was pastor here years ago, and he put some plaques on the wall over here. It was about this wide and about this long. He put the first commandment, the second commandment, and then he put the ten commandments hanging on those two. 
Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on him. I saw what he had done, and I said, he got it. See, I was his pastor once. Did you know that? I taught him all the good stuff he knows. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Uh, the Ten Commandments? Yes! The Great Commission. You say, oh, the commission given to the church. Brother, you're part of it. Amen. The church is commissioned to go into all the world. I can't go into all of it, and you can't go into all of it, but you can go into your part of it. Your commission, and if he has you to go, you're to go. Amen. It's a commandment. Important. <laughs> he gave a new commandment, he said, that we love one another as he has loved us. The first two, boy, it's hard. I, just, I want to love the Lord with all of my heart and with all my soul and with all of my mind and not love him. But Jesus said, I'm to love you as he's loved me. Boy, it's hard to love like Jesus does. But we need to try our best. It's a commandment. When he says go, it's a commandment. Where he says go is a commandment. What he says preach is a commandment. Over a year ago, one day, somehow a year just stuck out to me. And then it hit me. I'm to use that at Old Union. And I began studying. We need to do it that way. What he gives us. John 15 and 19. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, the world hateth you. Now, brother, they do. Everybody don't hate us, but most of the world would hate you if they knew what you were preaching. They hate us. I went into a parts store years ago. A young preacher went into a parts store, automotive parts store. Needed some kind of part. Never been in that store before. And when I went through the door, there was a man at the counter and the parts man, they were in a debate, and I stepped in, and they kind of calmed down, and that man left. And when he left, that parts man started preaching. He said, that man was a preacher, and yeah, 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 about preachers. He had a lot to say about preachers. He hated them. He didn't like them. The world don't like us. 
They don't like us because they don't want to hear what we've got to tell them. They don't want to hear that they're sinners. They don't want to hear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Oh, you, I could just go on with this. But, uh, but as everybody comes into the world, they're uh, born sinners. They're not sinners because they sin. They were born sinners. And that's the reason they sin. They don't like to hear it. Brother, Man, Brother Moran has some things to say, say about hell and what he said was true. They don't like it. They don't want to hear it. I've got some letters. You know, I'm on the radio. I don't know what you know or not. But I've got the African Fund. I'm on the radio, lots of radio. And I get letters from people that are telling me there ain't no hell trying to, to debate with me. They better get the truth. There is a real hell. It's hard to give details about hell. All I know is that it's a lake of fire. I've imagined it be kind of like the sun, that hot. They say that thing's 93 million miles away and you can feel the heat from it. I'm for, uh, now the sun's not held, it's going to be annihilated. But uh, there must be a place somewhere similar to that. Lake of fire, where men are tormented. Forever and forever. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear that abortion is murder. I think it won't be long till we'll be put in jail for preaching it. But abortion is murder. Amen. It's taking the life of an unborn child. Led child just as much as one's already born. Exodus 21, 22, and 23 talks about a man striving with a woman that's with a child. And she lost, and she lost her child. The husband got whatever he asked. Went before the judges and whatever the judge said, that was it. But if he was striving with her intentionally, if he meant to do it, and he meant to cause her to miscarriage and she miscarried, it was life for life. It was capital punishment because he had murdered that child. There's nothing difficult about that. They don't want to hear about adultery. But adultery is a serious offense. In fact, under God's law given to Israel, their civil law, it's capital punishment too. Leviticus 20 and 10. 
If a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely die. That's pretty strong. Leviticus 20 and 13 gets pretty straight about this gay stuff. It says, if a man lie with another man as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed abomination and they both shall surely be put to death. It was capital offense under Israel's law. Civil law. Transgender. Leviticus 20 and 13. No, sorry. Deuteronomy 22 and 5. A woman shall not wear clothes pertaining to a man. And a man, neither shall a man put on the garments of a woman. When they do, all that do, it says, have committed abomination before God. <laughs> Brethren, they don't want to hear this kind of stuff, but it's God's word and we got to preach it. Amen. And they'll hate us for preaching it, but we got to preach it. Amen. Matthew 5, 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is good for nothing but to cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Salt is a preservative. He's saying you're the salt of the earth. Salt is a preservative. The church preserves the truth, for instance. When I was a boy, we raised our own meat. We raised hogs, and my dad had a smokehouse, and he had a salt box, and that smokehouse was about three foot wide and four foot long, about two foot deep. He'd put a layer of salt. He'd put the, the meat from that hog in there, the hams and shoulders and sides, etc. and then he'd put another layer of salt, another layer of meat, another layer of salt. He'd leave them for a while. He'd take... Uh, take it out then and hang it up in that smokehouse and smoke it a little bit. But the salt kept it from, uh, uh, kept it from spoiling. It was uh, preserved. And friends, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. It preserves the truth. Amen. I've thought about it often. If Jesus hadn't established the church and commissioned it and sent it into the world, even though he died at Calvary, we'd have never heard the gospel truth. You and I would be in our, uh, in our sins today. But the church is a pillar in the ground of the truth. Has preserved the truth ever since he died at Calvary. He has preserved the truth. Yes, I have. Brother, when you preach it, you're preserving it. Amen. That's why we're called the salt. We're preaching the truth. Amen. 
We preserve the truth and we need to preach it. Every time that God bids us go preach, we need to go preach. Where he sends us, I've said it before and probably said it again, where he sends us, when he sends us, and what he says preach, we need to let on the line. If the salt has lost its savor, he said it's good for nothing, cast out in front of the foot of men. Now, brethren, we can get involved in sin of some kind, and we lose our influence, and our ministry is gone. We can't preserve the truth anymore because they won't listen to us. Sure enough, then, even people that are, that are Christians won't listen to you. When I was in my 20s, I run a Royal Crown Cola route. And I stopped at a little country store. There's a widow woman running that country store. Well, in our part of the country, there was a man that was a preaching man. I mean, this man could preach, and he preached the truth. I heard him preach the doctrinal sermon before uh, the Siloam Association that was fantastic. I wasn't just really acquainted with him because I'm a young fellow, you know, but, uh, and he wasn't a, uh, a member of my church, but I knew him by seeing him preach at the association and hearing people talk about him. You'd hear people talking about him everywhere. He was highly noted. as uh, He was a popular preacher because he did things right. But uh, friends, I was on that route and I went by that little country store and he was sitting there in a chair with that widow woman one day and I thought this don't look right. Shouldn't have been doing that if it wasn't anymore. Next week I come by and he's sitting there in that chair. He didn't know me. I knew him, but he didn't know me. This went on for a few weeks and I, I was sure there's something going on here. It wasn't long till I heard the church had excluded him. Salt had lost his savor. A man that had uh, a studied great deal and was able to deliver what he studied. He let, uh, he let sin ruin his life and his ministry. The salt lost its savor. He was done. Brethren, We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that's in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Boy, the Word is a light. People are sitting in darkness and, 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 and the Word, the truth, takes them out of darkness. 
they know the truth. We need to let our little light shine. We don't need to put it under a bushel or under a bucket. We need to let it shine. We need to be ready to go when God says go. We need to study and we need to go and let our light shine. Live a life that people have the respect. It said a city that sat on a hill cannot be hid. I think that's having reference to moral excellence. If, if you have moral excellence, if you study and you deliver the truth, God will be with you and you will be effective. Amen. You let the little light shine. Luke 12, 6 through 7. Are not two sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them are forgotten before God? But even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. Brethren, God knows all about us. Some of us are losing hours and they drop out along. But God keeps them counting of them. He knows how many hairs on your head today. He knows everything about you. He knows uh, uh, when you're hurting and when you're not. It's wonderful how the Lord that cares for us and the Father. It's a wonderful thing. And it does. I heard a story years ago. Some of you will remember it, and probably some of you have never heard it. Probably several of you have never heard it. But the, the story was called Footprints. This story goes kind of like this. There's a man that he dreamed. And he saw in his dream, he saw his life as footprints in the sand. And there were two sets of footprints, his and the Lord's. And he, he was looking at those footprints. And when the times was easy, there were two footprints. And when the times got hard, there was just one footprint. And he cried out to the Lord and he said, Lord, when the times got hard, why did you leave me? And the Lord said, Son, I didn't leave you. Those footprints were mine. I was carrying you. Boy, he ain't left you. We full, like Job said, the man's woman born woman's a few days and full of trouble. We have our troubles and our trials. Oh, but he'll help you through them. Luke 22 and 28. Jesus said, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptation, and I have appointed unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed it unto me. 
Brethren, the Lord has appointed unto us a kingdom. Not long ago, Alice, my wife, asked me what my favorite scriptures was, and I said, John, a third chapter, Revelation chapter 21. John 3.16 is my favorite scripture in all the Bible. Period. I'm glad God loved me. It's a wonderful thing to know God loved you enough that he gave his only begotten son that you could have everlasting life. It's a wonderful thing to know. That in the Father's house, that city of gold described in Revelation 21, there's a room, <laughs> lots of rooms. <laughs> that city is, I think it's the Father's house. All of God's children will occupy a room there. That city is of Pure gold, symbolic of the righteousness of God and all his children in the door over there. When we get over there, we're, uh, after the Lord comes back and, and, and we have new bodies, we're going to be just like the Lord. That's what John said. We don't know what we'll be like, but when we see him, we'll be like him. That's good enough. We're going to have bodies like the Lord has got. Everything's going to be good over there in that city of gold. It's a wonderful place. Wonderful place. We'll be with God the Father. We'll be with God the Son. And the Holy Spirit will be there too. That river that flows out from under the throne of God, I think that represents the Holy Spirit. Boy, isn't it wonderful that the Spirit flows from the throne of God today? He's here and now. We're going to be over there with the Godhead one day after a while. I, I remember standing on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. On the Mount of Olives, just you start to go down, you can look down, you're looking right down on the city of Jerusalem. And that's the reason those people began to shout and praise the Lord when he made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. I've, I've read that scripture a lot of times and remember being there and, and uh, uh, I long to have been there when it was going on. When, when, uh, uh, when Jesus was making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, they were praising him. They were having a good time. I would love to have been there. I, I wasn't, but I want to tell you, there's going to be a sure enough triumphal entry one day into the heavenly Jerusalem and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Listen, friends, when, when things get tough, let me say this before I do that. I heard another story. There was a missionary. He'd been on, a, on the foreign field for a long time. And he came home. And when he got to the airport, there was a crowd out there. And he thought the people were out there to meet him. And he got off and the crowd was there for a celebrity just two people left for him. And he said, Lord, why? 
And the Lord said, Son, you ain't home yet. You can say it, brother. When you're having a hard time, <laughs> you can always say, I ain't home yet. <laughs> it's going to be all right over there. Everything's going to be perfect. Won't be no shootings. Won't be no stealing. Won't be no crime of any kind. Won't be no dying. Won't be no crying. Lord's going to wipe all our tears away. It's, it's hard to imagine a place like it is, but I call it home. You know, there's a song that says, some people call it heaven, but I call it home. That's what it is. It's my eternal home. Uh, I'm going there one day after a while. Yeah, I have troubles and trials, but I'm not home yet. Thank you for listening to me this morning. I appreciate you all. Go serve the Lord. Amen. Amen.